This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You are listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast. I am Jordan Hall, and we have a very special podcast with an NHL roundtable and plenty of folks who cover all the East Division teams very closely. We're going to take deep dives into all those teams and who could be in the Flyers' way in this East Division in this 2020-21 season. The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives... There's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard, BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Flyers Talk is presented by Wells Fargo. When our communities need us, Wells Fargo is here to help. We have everybody talking about every team from around the East Division, which is still going to be hard to get used to. The whole, like, sponsorship of divisions thing, I think we're just – I'm not even going to bother doing that because hopefully that's going to be a one-year thing. DJ Bean from NBC Sports Boston, Dan Rosen, the senior NHL writer at NHL.com, uh, is going to be talking about all four of the New York slash New Jersey teams. Got Jordan Hall, host of Flyers Talk, uh, of course, covering Philadelphia for us. Seth Roraboff from Pittsburgh covers it for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review. And, of course, J.J. Regan, you know him, NBC Sports Washington. We do this podcast together. But I'm just going to be the one kind of steering all this because we got a 1,000 people on this, and there's nothing more interesting than trying to do these big conversations when you have so many people on Zoom and somebody's Internet goes out. I'm going to make one prediction first, guys, before we get into this. Somebody's Internet's going to crap out at some point, and we're going to have to deal with, like, the sputtery conversation that's just inevitable when <laughs> we're on Zoom. Nick, well, well, it's, Nick, it's always yours. No, that is not true. It's not always mine. I have good internet. I'm just that not every time. It's the fun thing to do is to fake it, and then everyone gets really, especially like live TV. I've done that like maybe six or seven times. You just fake it <laughs> mid take, and then like producers freak out for a second, and they're <laughs> so happy when they realize that just you're ruining the show. That's all. DJ, you Our and I are going to get along. My AOL build today. That's right. DJ, I think you what and I are going to get along. 2004, like your AOL build. Hell yeah. I'm going to steal that idea from you, DJ. That's 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 definitely something that's going to drive Jason nuts at some point. So I apologize to you, Jason Murphy, ahead of time, because I will do that at some point this season. Let's start big picture with the division and try to go around and give everybody an opportunity here. I'll start with you, DJ, and we just kind of look big picture. What is 
we, let's look kind of at the division alignment we have first because we've got teams that aren't usually in the same division with each other. This is a weird year. You're going to see these teams so much more. Uh, you know, we're going to have these little mini series, which I think is going to be interesting. I like to see the NHL maybe even continue this moving forward, but we'll take baby steps with this. DJ, you first. How do you feel about it? I love the mini series. I love the back to backs. Like those are always great when you when you get them organically in the season. I think a season essentially exclusively having those is going to rule. But when I look at the divisions, like, it's just so freaking lopsided. And, like, two of the top five teams are in two of the divisions. So the East and uh, whichever one, I already forget the names of the division, whichever one uh, the, the Colorado's in and, uh, and St. Louis. Now, the East also has four of the top seven teams from last season. And I know that going off of last season's standings is uh, a little archaic, but still, like, these divisions are pretty lopsided. And just for entertainment's sake in a shortened season, I kind of like that we're going to be – the teams that we're watching are going to be in the loaded one. Are we can go on to Dan. What about you, Dan? I mean, look, I, I think the, the division that intrigues me the most is the North Division because it's got all the Canadian teams. And to be honest, that's going to be settling barroom debates from St. John's to Vancouver. You know I mean? Like, it's just – that have been raging. But – and I think that actually could be the hardest division because six teams in that division, not is everyone but Ottawa, believes that they would be in the playoffs this year normally. But I think you could say the same about the East. Six teams in that division believe that they are playoff teams. And maybe they would be in a normal year, but two of them are definitely not going to get in because they don't have the luxury of being the fifth place team and getting the wild card. Uh, the East division here is just loaded. It's a gauntlet. It, and, and a team I feel for is a team like the Buffalo Sabres because the Buffalo Sabres feeling good about themselves, right? They get Taylor Hall. They're liking things. They got Eric Stahl. Ralph Kruger's the the eternal optimist. And they, they haven't been in the playoffs in forever. And they think maybe this is the year. And then they get shoved in this division. And, oh, by the way, Boston's coming with them. You know, and so I feel for them, but there's there's six legitimate playoff teams, I think, in this division. And to the point where one perennial and Seth knows the team well, I don't think the Pittsburgh Penguins are making it out of this division, to be honest with you. And Jordan, your uh, your flyers are considered the favorites in this. But like Dan said, it ain't going to be easy this year. No, it's a loaded division and they know it, too. Uh, Kevin Hayes, who is a Dorchester guy, he's a Boston guy played for New York, so played in New York, and now he's in Philly. So he knows the whole East dynamic, and he admitted playing these teams eight times could really create some bad, some bad blood, some animosity, and they know how difficult it is. And, yeah, this is a year – the Flyers probably had their best shot at really seriously contending in 10 years, and they're going to actually have to fight really for their playoff lives. That's how good the division is. You know, Seth, one of the things I like about this is we're going to see a lot more uh, Capitals – penguins games and it's funny because there was that rumor for a while that they wouldn't be in the same division and people were like what why would you even consider something like that yeah i think the penguins really for one thing they wanted to play all their their rivals but also i think they wanted to stay in a division this is the one division where you don't leave your time zone um all the other divisions play out over multiple time zones so uh, i think that was one of the other motivations for the penguins but uh, to dan's point there uh, about the Penguins maybe not being a favorite here. This is probably the least amount of depth this team has had since Jim Rutherford, maybe since his first year here in Pittsburgh. Uh, uh, they're, they're very top-heavy. It's a pretty good top six, but after that, they're kind of trying to scrape together what they can for their bottom six among the forwards. And 
they're taking some flyers on uh, guys like Mike Matheson and Cody Cece and hoping they can kind of turn their, their hopes around here. So, um, really, I mean, yeah, the big guys are still here in Pittsburgh, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Crystal Tang, but um, they're not as deep as they were, particularly during the two Stanley Cup years. Yeah, and for somebody that is doing pre and post this year, you talk about those time zones. I'm like, oh, that's good. I'm going to have to stay up until <laughs> 1 o'clock in the morning. We're out on the West Coast. It may be a little selfish. This is about me right here, but let's be honest. I think we all kind of love games that start at a normal time. By the way, JJ, before we get to your opinion on this, I noticed you already dropped off. You talked all that crap, and instantly you were off the Zoom before we even – two minutes in. Power moves. Honestly, I thought it went out right before DJ started talking. I thought, oh, this is a bit. He's doing a bit here. <laughs> that my camera is the only one that was moving. So, yes, I deserve, I deserve all the crap that is coming my way. But in terms of the division, my biggest takeaway is that you're looking at – a playoff team is not going to make the playoffs here. In a normal year, you'd be talking about teams like, are the Sabres, are the Rangers ready to take that next step and compete for maybe a wild card spot? And now we're looking at teams like – geez, somebody between the Penguins and the Islanders and the Caps isn't going to make it at all. So I, that's my biggest takeaway for me. It, it's it's the t- at the top of the group how it's going to be a competition, not just to win the division, but to even make the playoffs because this division is just so top-heavy. Don't be afraid to throw the Bruins in there. I'm hearing way too much. Off, off the top, I'm hearing way too much like – fear of the Bruins I don't I'd honestly throw well, them in that like they could mm-hmm. be in the mix of a team that could miss it see, see DJ, DJ I think all of these teams could be in that mix and except the the what the one exception is the Flyers to me like to, to me the Flyers are the best team in the division I think top to bottom they and I know they lost Matt Niskanen in the offseason and I'm kind of sick of the narrative now that's that I've heard coming out of Philadelphia and heard nationally like well how's Provorov gonna be without Niskanen you know Provorov's pretty darn good defenseman and I think he's going to be just fine without Matt Niskanen who's a very good player and they're going to miss him Uh, but I love the goaltending the goaltending depth and you got to remember depth is going to be so important for this season because we don't know who's going to be able to play every game you don't know with COVID you know somebody going to get it are they going to sit or what's going to happen and if you have strong goaltending depth where you can throw a guy out there no matter what and you believe he can win with you you can win with him that's key but that's another reason why I like the Bruins too you know I mean they are so strong in net and I mean DJ Tuka Rask coming back I love Tuka I love his honesty I love everything about him and he's so under appreciated in Boston for everything he does. It's the, it's one of the more insane. Th- I mean, they, they, yeah. they just lost the other underappreciated guy in Zeno Chara. Yeah. But like, I mean, Chara was highly beloved relative to the stuff that Tuca gets, but that's another story for another time. Yeah, the whole if thing- I can supplement Dan's point there uh, regarding, uh, you know, the coronavirus and all the, the medical protocol, um, you're talking a 50 game, 56 game season. And if you have an outbreak on your team and you're missing a lot of your players, um, that gets amplified quite a bit compared to, say, maybe an 82-game season. So um, you can go on a real bad run where you're playing a lot of your AHL players. And don't forget, these are all division games, so they're all really four-point games in a lot of ways. So um, I, would add, I would note that there's a lot of unpredictability based on that uh, for, for a lot of these preseason predictions just based on the, the unpredictability of, of all of this right now. Yeah, there, there's – I mean, it's, it's funny. That's, like, just become the theme, right? I mean, you think of March on from last year, and it's like – there is nothing that's predictable except for the fact that we know it's going to be really complicated trying to figure this out. You mentioned Chara, uh, DJ. It's going to be really weird to see him in a Capitals uniform. There's no question. But when you guys look at this division and the moves that were made, and certainly in D.C., we've seen the Capitals make a lot of additions. They, they address some of their needs defensively. Uh, DJ, where would you look in terms of the, the – 
I guess the best offseason move across the division. So I've been watching a lot of Patriots and have been way too much into like asset management versus actually trying to win games because the team isn't that good. So I'm going to give that award to the Buffalo Sabres for signing Taylor Hall for $8 million. Because honestly, I don't think the Sabres are going anywhere. I would posit most of us don't think the Sabres are going anywhere. But signing him one year, $8 million, trade, you can, you're, you're just essentially signing either a good young prospect or a first-round pick because you just trade him, eat half the money at the trade deadline, and that was such a freebie of an asset for them to go out and get. Obviously, in the meantime, they can figure out maybe can this be something with Jack Eichel? I don't think it'll be enough that'll make them contenders in this division, but I think that that's the, the biggest move in this division. What about you, Dan? What do you say? Well, I definitely think Taylor Hall is the biggest move. I actually think of it from the opposite point of view, what, what TJ said second, which was let's see what they have with him and Eichel. And if it works out, you sign him long-term. And to me, that's better than getting a middle first-round draft pick, you know, because you're getting Taylor Hall for, you know, what should be four or five terrific seasons playing with your elite number one center. And that's what Jack Eichel is. Uh, so that, that makes a lot of sense to me. The best move didn't work out to me. The best move was the capitals getting Henrik Lundqvist because yeah. Ilya Samsonov needed that type of player. Once Braden Holpe priced himself out of Washington, getting Hank for 1.5 million and Hank wasn't coming in to be a backup. Hank was coming in to push Samson up and tell him, I'm going to take your job, son. And now he can't be there. So that's a big hole that they have to fill. So I love the Taylor Hall move. Uh, and similarly, like I thought Corey Crawford going to New Jersey was a great move and now he retired, you know? So if things didn't work out on those two fronts, but to, it's still, it's the Taylor Hall trade or the biggest addition might very well also be Alexi Lafreniere for the Rangers, but I don't know how that plays out for year one he could be terrific for them and still they might not be a playoff team but this kid's gonna be a star all right let me phrase it like this then does anybody see anything other than taylor hall being the best move in the division <laughs> all right Seth see something different i'm gonna cheat i'm gonna go off the board here uh, i'm gonna go with todd reardon going to the pittsburgh penguins oh, okay. with the coach. Okay. uh todd reardon was a guy who was an assistant coach here previously in pittsburgh uh did a lot of work with their defensemen and really helped some guys uh, really improve their games. A guy like Matt Niskanen thought he was going to wash out at one point. He was a former first-round pick, and Todd Reardon really helped him fix his career. Uh, he helped Derek England becoming an NHL player and last in the NHL for 13 years, wherever it was. Uh, in Washington, did some some great things with John Carlson, obviously. Uh, Dimitri Orloff, uh, Michael Kempney found a way to get something out of Brooks Orpik at 30-some years old uh, and, and later in his career. So. Uh, the Penguins have a lot of young defensemen, new defensemen, some guys like Mike Matheson and Cody Ceci, as I mentioned, trying to, you know, get a restart in their careers. I think Todd Reardon can help them there. Uh, some younger guys like John Marino, Marcus Pedersen, younger guys that I think Todd can help him in those areas. And um, he's also going to be in charge of the power play, which has been a problem for the Penguins ever since Phil Kessel left about two years ago. So, uh, you know, Todd Reardon, I think, is going to be a, a guy that really helps the Penguins in a myriad of ways. Well, it's good. He's you can have him. He's really going to help the Penguins. <laughs> you can keep him. He's really going to help the Penguins when he's their next head coach, when uh, uh, Jimmy Rutherford pulls the trigger on Mike Sullivan midway through the season because that's what he does with bold moves. But to go off of Seth's point, the biggest move in the offseason was Peter Laviolette going to the Washington Capitals because that's going to end up being the most impactful move. I think, like you said, we all agree, Taylor Hall was the best player who was added. But the most impactful move is going to be Peter Laviolette because I think he makes the Capitals, again, a major contender in the league. I don't think the Capitals are as bad as they've looked the last two years. They, it was just a, a coach 
in his first NHL head coaching job, going through some growing pains, and all of a sudden the Capitals could not handle adversity at all. And that's pretty much all they did in their championship run was handle adversity. And then you saw in the playoffs how they were completely outcoached by their former coach, Barry, uh, Barry Trotz, uh, and the New York Islanders. So I think Peter Laviolette, he's a guy who finds success in his teams right away, which is very important for a Capitals team whose window every year we talk about whether or not that championship window has closed. As long as Alex Ovechkin is able to escape father time for another year, I think the Capitals could be major players, not just in the division, but in the league. I'm surprised, Jordan, that we you're the Flyers guy. We haven't had any – the best addition is a healthy blank. That's always what you do when you talk about, like, great trade acquisitions or offseason acquisitions. Flyers get to do that all over the place offensively. I'm glad you asked because J.J. stole the words from my mouth. I was going to go Peter Laviolette. I think he can really get exactly what you need out of a team that maybe is seeing their window close, just given how he always has media success. But, yeah, the Flyers – don't really do anything in the offseason. Their fans are upset because they're thinking they're taking another step towards contention. And Flyers fans have a soft spot in their hearts for loud offseasons. But they didn't really do anything. They're relatively quiet. And now all of a sudden fans are happy again because there's credible buzz about Nolan Patrick and Oscar Lindblom. Both look healthy. Both look ready to go for Wednesday's opener. Oscar Lindblom, before his cancer diagnosis with Ewan Sarcoma last December, he was tied for the team leading goals with 11. He was projected to finish with 30 over a full season. He's all of a sudden thrown right back in the mix with Sean Couturier, Travis Konechny, and that line looks like it could be really, be really good. And then Nolan Patrick missed all of last season with migraine disorder. He's back in the mix. He's their third-line center. And on paper, they look really, really intriguing. Scott Lawton is a guy that led their team in the return-to-play tournament with five goals. He's their fourth-line center. So that's what Nolan Patrick and Oscar Lindblom do for their depth at forward. And all of a sudden, fans are totally forgetting about Chuck Fletcher's quiet offseason. You know, no, no love for Gustafson. I, I, wanted, I, I liked him for the Bruins. I don't understand why no, – no love, no love there. Yeah, and he had a career year in 2018, 19. Uh, fell off a little bit. but Bit he, of a broken toy. Puck, yeah, fun puck mover. Uh, we've seen him in training camp, really slick passer. Chuck Fletcher said that they did not have a defenseman that saw the ice and passed like he does. And they have a really young – talented defensive core guys that can get up the that can get up and down the ice so the fact that he was that high on Gustafson in terms of what he can do transitioning the puck with his legs uh tells me that you know he could be really good for them offensively I'm going to add uh, a couple of additions to uh, first I'm going to play off of what Seth was talking about he brought, brought up Todd Reardon and that makes sense from an assistant coaching perspective but the guy that left Pittsburgh and went to the Rangers Jacques Martin can really be helpful to David Quinn, a young coach in the league who's establishing himself now with a young decor. Keandre Miller is going to make the team. Adam Fox, uh, Ryan Lindgren, Tony D'Angelo. I mean, these are four younger defensemen in the league, and Jacques Martin is going to help them without question. But I also think a big addition is Ilya Sorokin from the, for the Islanders. Um, he has a chance to be a star in this league. He's coming from the KHL where he dominated the KHL, just like Igor Shosturkin. It's going to be a Russian goalie battle for the next decade in New York. It's going to be very interesting. But Sorokin comes in, and he's going to push Varlamov. They made Thomas Grice expendable. He goes to Detroit, and it the Islanders aren't going to lose anything. If anything, they're going to gain from that. And they already are a very strong defensive team. We know how Barry Trotz coaches. You need good goaltending. And they have it with those two. 
Now, it's clear every team in this division has a different expectations. So we know there are a couple of teams in New York probably not thinking they're going to do very much this year. We talk about Philadelphia, Washington, and certainly higher. I'll let you get to JJ. I'll let you get to Washington a little bit because you and I have screamed at each other about the things they needed to do just to make this, uh, you know, a, a season we could be excited about again. But let's just start with what's going on up in Boston, DJ. And if you're just going to encompass it in just one storyline that surrounds the Bruins, what would it be? Recovering from being a paper tiger and or uh, recovering from a window closing. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm not super hot on, on the Bruins. I wasn't hot on the Bruins last it's, year. It's very noticeable, by the way. It's, it's, there's a lot of sarcasm dripping off of you right now, which is totally fine. And I was so obnoxious in the, 20, in the spring of 2019. I could not have been more obnoxious. Once the first round ended, I was like, all right, well, the Bruins won the cup. Like, that's it. And I just wouldn't hear anything other than the Bruins won the cup. The Bruins are going to win the cup. And, I mean, they, they, they rode the quiet car to the cup. It was so freaking easy getting there. And when they lost that, it was like, well, they're still a really good team. And then last season happened. And when I say Paper Tiger, obviously President's Trophy winner, great results in the regular season. But they had such issues at wing beyond the perfection line, whatever you want to call it. And they didn't really mask those holes. Like Andre Kasha, hopefully he can be something. They signed Craig Smith in the offseason. Hopefully he can be something. He's more of a sure thing. Like I don't want to besmirch uh, Craig Smith. I think he's a, a really good middle six wing. But Nick Ritchie is your third line left wing. And I mean, he was just a, he was a horrible acquisition. You, you hope that, that for his sake, for everybody's sake, he can be better. But they've got real issues on the wing beyond Brad Marchand, David Pasternak. Obviously, Jake DeBrusque is a good player, but the, David Krejci, the, this poor guy, ever since they got rid of Jerome McGinley and Milan Lucic, he's constantly had maybe one wing, but never two, and specifically never a right wing. So offensive issues persist for them. Now, Craig Smith helps that a little, but think of the step, the massive step you took backward on defense. Historically, obviously, people will talk about Chara, because that's a bigger historical loss, right? It's your captain, one of the great defensemen in Bruins history, which is saying something because they've had some very good defensemen over the years. Tory Krug's a better player than Zdeno Chara right now. Tory Krug is a tougher player to replace than Zdeno Chara right now. They lost both of them. And really, what are you replacing them with? Matt Grizzlick is now your best left, left shot defenseman. That's rough. And like, I, I like Matt Grizzlick. He has been a really good third-ish pairing defenseman. Now you're either going to stick Charlie McAvoy with I don't know, Lozon, like Vakanainen, Jacob Zaboral, one of these young defensemen. And really two of these young defensemen are going to have to play significant spots on your defense. So, look, they were good last year. They weren't as great as their record suggested. And we saw that come to roost in the postseason. And now they've unequivocally gotten worse. So I'm, they're going to be competitive. I think they'll be a playoff team, but I don't think they're a cup contender. Dan, you're responsible for four different teams on this. So those <laughs> <laughs> right. storylines may be more important than others, but let's try to, I guess, encompass all of the teams that we brought you on here for in terms of the storylines and what you expect. All right, so that would be the Islanders, Rangers, Devils, and Sabres. Yeah, that's, that's what we're it. going for? Okay. <laughs> um, I think the Islanders, I think of the four, the Islanders are the team that is most likely to make the playoffs. Uh, their style of play doesn't change. And I think that's one of the important things about this season. Very short training camp, not a lot of, no runway to get 
up and running really here. You got to go in knowing exactly who you are and what you do and the type of team you are. And I think that plays to the Islanders benefit, whereas the Rangers figured that out at the end of last season, but they're still bringing in a lot of young players. I mean, they're going to have Lafreniere's making his NHL debut. Uh, Keandre Miller's going to make his NHL debut on Thursday night. Kako's moving up to the second line. There's hope. There's a lot of higher expectations, especially with Panarin and Zibanejad there too. But are they ready to take that next jump in a division with experienced teams? I'm not so sure, but they're going to be a better team. They're going to be a very tough team. So I think the Islanders are ahead of the Rangers. I think they're both ahead of the Sabres. But Buffalo, again, is one of those teams where I look at it and I say, if everything breaks right, maybe they have a chance. But I'd still look at their goal thing and I'm like... Linus Olmark is your number one goalie, and I know they believe in him, but Carter Hutton's your number two. I'm not sold on that. you got to sell me on it if you're Linus Olmark. And then the Devils are in their, the mix where they're probably finished last in the division, uh, and they're in that rebuilding mix. Nico Hishier's not going to start the season. Jesper Bratt's not going to start the season. Corey Crawford's not there. I mean, this is going to be a real tough road here for Lindy Ruff in his first year with New Jersey, but that would be the order I would put them in. And of those four, I would say the Islanders are probably the only one that do make the playoffs. Jordan, clearly on the other spectrum for you when it comes to Philadelphia, right? Yes, and there are high expectations, but there's still a notable storyline about Matt Niskanen's absence. Uh, Philly fell in love with him in terms of what he did for Ivan Provrov, but also in terms of what he did in all situations. Penalty kill, power play, and five-on-five. In 2018-19, before Matt Niskanen's arrival, the Flyers allowed 3.41 goals per game. That was third most in the NHL. Niskanen comes here. They allowed 2.77 last season, tied for the seventh fewest. A lot of that was a Lane Vigneault system. Some of it was Kevin Hayes' arrival. But Matt Niskanen was that good in terms of helping the Flyers' goal prevention efforts. All of a sudden, he's gone, and they're trying to replace him by committee. So, yes, they are talented on the back end. Um, they have some experience in Justin Braun. They have a young guy like Ivan Provrov, Travis Sanheim, Philip Myers. But – how will life be without Matt Niskanen on the back end? Will they be able to prevent enough goals? Uh, that is still a notable storyline, and I think that's going to be something talked about throughout the course of that season. How do they fare without Matt Niskanen and his presence? Seth, what about in Pittsburgh? What's the biggest storyline there? Um, just to reiterate my earlier point, the depth or the lack thereof. Um, they're, they're trying to go with a guy like, say, Mark Jankowski is their number three center. I mean, he was a guy who was, you know, he was a healthy scratch 13 times uh, last season in, Ca- in Calgary. Um, they're trying to hope, you know, catch lightning in a bottle there. Hopefully, you know, see if he can, uh, recapture whatever made him a first round pick back in 2012. But I mean, you're seeing guys like Colton Skivior, uh, Evan Rodriguez are probably going to have regular spots in this lineup. And, um, you know, and you look at the blue line again, they're trying to, you know, see if they can help guys like Mike Matheson and Cody Cece, uh, you know, reinvigorate their careers. So, uh, really just Pittsburgh does not have the depth that it's usually has enjoyed here the past four or five years under Jim Rutherford. The, the top six is very good. Jake Gensel, Sidney Crosby, and they're trying to get Casper Kapanen back on the ice. He's still dealing with some immigration issues and will probably miss the start of the season. But and then you have a really good second line with Jason Zucker, uh, Evgeny Malkin, and Brian Ross. But after that, it's really uh, slim pickings as far as uh, the depth in the third and the fourth lines. And uh, um, also, you know, they lose Matt Murray and, and you know, they, they part with, you know, Matt Murray this offseason and, you know, they're turning in Casey to Smith, who's been kind of a journeyman throughout his career to be the backup goaltender to Tristan Jari. So, uh, again, to repeat myself, depth is just not, not as strong as it has been in Pittsburgh, particularly when they were winning Stanley Cups here. 
JJ, I know what I'd like to see in Washington. It's a team that actually looks like they want to be on the ice. We'll start with that and maybe build from there. Well, motivation probably won't be a factor for this team, but the biggest storyline <laughs> for the Capitals is, is, is the goaltending. Uh, you know, Brayden Holpe left in the, in the offseason. He was the longtime starter for the Capitals. So the future is now for Ilya Samsonov. He was seen as the future starter, and now it's his turn in goal. Uh, the Capitals are going to go into the season with a tandem of Ilya Samsonov and Vitek Vanacek. So 26 combined games of NHL experience, and Ilya Samsonov has all 26 of those games. Uh, they tried Henrik Lundqvist. It didn't work out because of the heart issues. Craig Anderson came on a PTO. It looks like he's headed to the taxi squad for now. And even with Vitek Vanacek's tiny uh, cap hit, their caps are still going to be about $3,500 under the cap. So not a lot of wiggle room there. Uh, you know, look, Brayden Holpe wasn't that good last year. And so you look and say, hey, if Ilya Samsonov gets the bulk of these starts, he's a 23-budding franchise goalie they should be better at that position. But the other thing to think about, Samsonov has never been the number one at any stage of his career. He was the up-and-coming goalie in the KHL. He was the up-and-coming goalie in the AHL. He was the up-and-coming goalie in the NHL. The most games he's played in an entire season is 36, which he did in Hershey. So can he handle the bulk of the low? Can he handle being the number one? The, the one positive is that at least he's being asked to be the number one in a 56-game season as opposed to an 82-game season. So if Vitek Vanacek doesn't work out, he's not going to be asked to play 65, 70-plus games. But he is going to be asked to play a lot of games in a short amount of time. So goaltending is definitely the biggest question mark and the biggest storyline for this team. You know, one of the, the trends that I've noticed in our time having this conversation here is there is a wide range of best and worst case scenario for I think a majority of the teams we're talking about. There's a, a couple that I think we understand. They're probably just going to have a season that they want to forget. Fine. But for a majority of the teams in this division, just given how competitive it is, there is a wide range of, Hey, this could end up being a really great year or, Oh damn. I'd like to forget everything that just happened with that DJ. When it comes to Boston, what is the best and worst case scenario in your opinion? The, the best case scenario is uh, I don't want to pick on Nick Ritchie. I'll just, I was going to say that like Nick Ritchie learns hockey, but that's really mean. Uh, <laughs> best, best case scenario. I'm not going to is... say it, but I'm going to kind of say it anyway is the way that that went. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we can edit that out. Yeah. Maybe. No, no, that's Get a laugh. Um, no. Uh, best case scenario is Jeremy Lozon or Earl Vakanainen or Jakub Zaborl, who, I mean, is probably best known for being part of the, the infamous Bruins three picks in a row in uh, the 2015 draft. Uh, if two of those guys can hit, then the Bruins are in business because what their strength forever has been defense and goaltending. And right now I, I just can't, I, I can't in good faith argue that defense is a strength for them. They have good defensemen on the right side, Charlie McAvoy, Brandon Carlo. Kevin Miller is working his way back from injury. Why they signed him over Zeno Chara just blows my freaking mind, but he's a good guy and they, they wanted him back. The left side is an issue. So if, if those young guys can step up, which I, I, I really think everybody doubts. Like it, it's not just like, I, I, don't, I don't know if these kids are any good. Like I, I'm a Lozon guy, but I think that putting, it, putting that much in two important spots on your back end on young guys, young unproven guys is a really big ask if you're still claiming to be contending. But if those guys hit and they're great, then 
cool, you're back to where you were last season. And then up front, you hope that Andre Kasha is what he looked like. He might become kind of for like an hour and a half at a time in Anaheim. I think he's always kind of, be, kind of been a, a trick-or-treat type of player. But they have some scratch tickets on this roster. I'll put it that way. And if they hit, great. The worst case scenario is all those guys stuck and you are playing Nick Ritchie that much and your depth offensively and defensively comes to bite you. Dan, I think we'd all probably agree the Islanders are, in terms of this division, they have the highest ceiling. And just watching from afar, especially last year, seeing what they did at the Capitals and seeing what Barry Trotz was able to do, I'll put those feelings aside because it still, still kind of digs a little bit at us here. But I guess really all of those teams, what, what would you look at as best and worst case scenario for them, given clearly with the four teams that you're on here to talk about, uh, there are some very different expectations for yeah. some. So I think with the Islanders, best case is Sorokin does what they have been waiting for him to do for a long time. And they have the elite goaltending tandem that they believe that they're going to have for a couple of years with Varlamov and Sorokin in there again, impossible to score on, you know, and that's it. If they are that way, they'll win a lot of two to one, three to one type of games and, and they'll make the playoffs and they will be an impossible out in a seven game series because of the way they play. And the other part of that is let's not forget. They traded a very good player in Devon Tapes to the Colorado Avalanche and they're going to rely on Noah Dobson and Noah Dobson's a very good but young defenseman if he sort of along the lines of DJ's points if he hits well their defense is going to be at least as good as it was last year with Taves and away they go and they also were able to sign Matt Barzell to a three-year contract and that was such a huge that, that was such a big thing for the Islanders to get him under contract, get him in camp, get him some practices. And oh, by the way, a $7 million cap it for your best players, a terrific value. No question about it. From the Rangers, I, I look at it in smaller doses. I think Shesterkin's got a hit. He's had a small sample size, 12 NHL games in the regular season, one in the qualifi- cup qualifiers. He's got to be really good, prove that he can be a number one. Um, they're going to have a good goaltending pair there with Georgiev too, uh, but he's got Shesterkin's the, fa- the future, so he's got to start it now. Lafreniere's got to develop, have a good development year for him. Same with Keandre Miller, and same with Capo Caco. Like, Capo Caco's going to get a top six role now. Keep it. Be, a, be involved. You're going to play with Artemi Panarin. You should score goals. The guy can find DJ in the slot if he really needed to, okay? If DJ could go to the front of the net, you know? I don't know if he does. It depends. <laughs> Years ago. Uh, you just got to get open, and Panarin's going to find you. So, Kako's got to hit. That's that's the best case, I think, for the Rangers. If all those guys develop and continue their development, well, the Rangers are going to be a very good team for a very long time. It, it might not lead to a playoff berth this year, but if those guys hit, then away they go. Worst case for them is it's a struggle for Lafreniere. Kako doesn't hit, and now you have some questions that you don't want to answer. Uh, so that's for the Rangers. For the Buffalo Sabres, best case is Jack Eichel is happy. That's the best case. Jack Eichel is happy. And for Jack Eichel to be happy, he and Taylor Hall have to hit it off. They have to play well. Their power play has to sing. And they have to be contending throughout the season. Make it or not, they can't get off to a good start like Buffalo has done the last couple of years and then tail off like like crazy. They have to be involved and they have to be in games. They can't have that slump, but 
Jack's got to be happy. You need like, – he's the best player on the team, one of the best players in the league, and he was unhappy last year. He's got to finish this season in a positive mindset for the Buffalo Sabres or they're going to have some issues in the offseason to deal with. Uh, and for the New Jersey Devils, it's about development. You need to see a lot more out of Jack Hughes. You need to see a lot more out of Nico Hishier when he gets on the ice. You need to see more out of Mackenzie Blackwood, these types of guys. That's a positive season for the Devils. If Hughes struggles, if Nico Heashier struggles, if Blackwood doesn't answer the bell, that's a problem for the Devils. Jordan, I feel like I'm not going out on a limb saying that the uh, best-case scenario would be winning a Stanley Cup in Philadelphia. No, that would be it spot on. Um, and I'm, I'll even say this, and I think fans probably wouldn't agree with me, but if they get to the Eastern Conference Final for the first time since 2010, that would be a very productive season. It would be another step under Vigneault. And then it would set up one more big season uh, on the final year of Claude Drew's contract uh, next season, where they still have their core pieces in place. They still have their youthfulness. And Carter Hart has another year under his belt. So best case scenario is Carter Hart catapults himself into probably a top seven goalie. Uh, Oscar Lindblom is even better than he was uh, before his cancer diagnosis. Nolan Patrick probably has one of his best seasons Uh, as an NHLer after two so-so years and then missing all of last season with his migraine disorder. Um, And the team does not feel the loss of Matt Niskanen as much as some people think it would. Um, As for worst case, uh, some of the things that I've hit on, Matt Niskanen, uh, he was the only player on that team last year who had won a Stanley Cup. And there was something about that that really just impacted their entire dressing room. Everyone looked up to him, his lead by example, and all of a sudden now, without Matt Niskanen, they are a lot, lot younger on the back end. Philip Myers is only t- 23. Travis Sanheim, only 24. Provrov, 23. And as much as I think Provrov will be okay, the year they put too much on his plate and didn't put anyone really around him, he had uh, a re- really struggled. He went from a career year to one of his worst, and it just seemed like pressure was too much for him. Um, and he just tried to do too much. I worry that maybe he'll try to do that again. But something tells me that they'll be okay on the back end. Carter Hart will be fine and get even better. And uh, they'll have a very productive year. And, yeah, aspirations are high. Elaine Vigneault said it the other day. He said, let's not kid ourselves. Um, Our expectations are super high. Um, And he's trying to change their mindset uh, from not just wanting to get into the playoffs and win a round. He wants to win multiple rounds. He wants to seriously contend for the Stanley Cup. He's trying to do that in Philadelphia. And the Flyers, before last season – They had a seven-year stretch of stagnancy of every other year making the playoffs and then totally being outclassed in that first round. Uh, Last year, big step. They went around. They go to a game seven against the Islanders. I do worry, though, if they run into the Islanders again, will they just have a very bad matchup? Some reason that Islanders matchup is not good. Uh, The the Flyers want to really take it to the opposition. They want to play in the offensive zone and kind of wear teams down. I think the Islanders do that a little bit better than them. That is one concern for me. Over in Pittsburgh, what's the best and worst-case scenario, Seth? Uh, the standard's always uh, to win the Stanley Cup in Pittsburgh, particularly why they still have the big three under contract. Uh, that's, I know that's a very cliched thing, but um, I, I think that window is starting to come shut a little bit here. I mean, if Genny Malkin and Chris Letang only have two years remaining on their contract, and uh, they're not getting any younger. They're all – the big three is approaching their mid-30s here, and um, I, the, the, the window to maximize that's, you know – Coming, you know, coming down a little bit more now. So um, if they miss the playoffs, which is very likely in this season, as we talked about, um, you, you might see some further changes in Pittsburgh. I mean, they made a lot of changes this past offseason, uh, you know, firing the assistant coaching staff, firing an assistant GM, 
uh, trading away a lot of guys like or dealing away or moving on from guys like, you know, Patrick Hornquist, Matt Murray, Justin Schultz. So um, if they miss the playoffs, you know, perhaps you see some, uh, you know, further changes there. So uh, best case scenario, I think, though, you need to have Tristan Jari really hit this year. He had a really good season, a breakout season last year, uh, became an all-star. Um, you know, for some reason he doesn't match that level or exceed it, or if he's out of the lineup for any extended period of time, which is very possible in this type of season, um, they don't have a Matt Murray that they can turn to. Casey DeSmith's a nice, okay backup, but if you have to go with Casey DeSmith for five or six games uh, or any kind of significant length, I, you know, that really, I think, limits your chances to, to contend for the playoffs, let alone the Stanley Cup. JJ, we talk about a title window, co- window closing year after year after year. I don't know how much that window is going to stay open, but I know we're hoping it's at least slightly cracked for a little bit longer in Washington. Yeah, I think the best case scenario is a Stanley Cup for Washington. I don't think that's too far-fetched. I know they come into this season with a lot of question marks, admittedly so. But they did upgrade in basically all the, the areas in which they really struggled last year. We talked about Peter Laviolette. That's a definite upgrade in coaching. The defense was atrocious last year. They added Justin Schultz, Trevor Van Rienzak, and Zdeno Chara, which not only adds players to the blue line, but it gives them a lot of depth so that if they do struggle, you can call a player like Jonas Siegenthaler in. You can call a player like Martin Farabari and put them in. Um, they struggle at depth scoring. Now they have Connor Sheary and Daniel Sprong that they can plug into the bottom six. So in all the areas in which they struggled last year, they do look like they have improved. So as long as Ilya Samsonov can be the number one that this team expect, expects him to be, as long as Peter Laviolette can have the kind of success, early success that he has had pretty much everywhere during his time as an NHL head coach, and as long as guys like Alex Ovechkin and TJ Oshie and Nicholas Backstrom can escape father time for one more year in a shortened season, then the Stanley Cup is possible as, as lofty an expectation as that is, I do think it is not impossible for this team. The worst-case scenario, I mean, look at this division. Maybe, maybe the championship window has closed. Maybe the last two years were not so much about coaching as they were a, an older team with an aging veteran core was finally wearing down, and that window has closed. And while we thought it was just the coaching – Maybe it wasn't. I don't think that's the case. But in this division, if you struggle, if you get off to a slow start, if Alex Ovechkin is gone, has gone from a 50-goal player to a 30-goal player, if Nicholas Backstrom is a second-line center to a third-line center, if TJ Oshie goes from a 20-goal scorer to a 10-goal scorer, if, if those things happen, if Ilya Samsonov struggles, then you're talking about the Capitals being one of those teams, one of those playoff teams who would make it assumed every single year being one of those teams playing for their playoff lives. I'll just say if the Capitals win, that would freaking rule. Like of the weird things that I want to have happen this season, Capitals winning the cup would be awesome. Just like 800 super old dudes, like a 12 year old in net. Let's go. (laughs) It really is the best way to describe it. It's like this weird dynamic of all these veterans. And then they're like, okay, kid, go ahead. And we have these expectations this year and you better be good. Cause there's really no other option after you. Like we're sitting here trying to talk ourselves into these like VT, Vanacek and all that. No, it's got to be Ilya Samsonov, and that's it. If he doesn't work, they're in big trouble. Yeah, he, was, he was good. Like, like first few months of the season, he looked good last season. And what was it? Like, late January on, he was yeah. brutal. Like, I, I wonder if maybe I'm reading too much into it. Like, as he gets the job to himself, does, does, does that dwell on him? 
I mean, what, it really, when the defense deteriorated, so did his numbers. So I, all the question marks about him and how he played really well at the start of the season and tailed off at the end, I think that was more of a, a case of the defense in front of him completely collapsing because the defense really was atrocious. I mean, let's not forget, for the first half of the season, the Caps were the best team in hockey by a wide margin. And then all of a sudden, the defense was awful, and the goaltending went with it. Well, I think with Washington, just to add my two cents in here, the defense is still not great, but one of the things that they're going to have is with Chara, he's going to shut down the middle of the ice in the last two minutes of the game. You know, and that's that's so important. It's what Boston loved about him, and one thing the Bruins will absolutely miss about him in tight games. You put him, you got a lead, you put him on the ice for the last three out of four shifts, even if you don't play him a lot in game. And his long reach, he shuts down the middle of the ice. He closes the slot down, and away you go with the win. But the, you know. And I think, DJ, it would be pretty funny if they won and Chara brought the cup back to the North End. Wouldn't it be interesting? <laughs> I bet he would. He loves Boston. <laughs> he does. Oh, man, he's the best. <laughs> Guys, this was a ton of fun. I know it's going to be a weird year, and we talk about predictions, and it's just impossible to almost make predictions with all this, but at least kind of getting here and looking ahead because we have hockey. It's finally coming back. DJ, Dan, Jordan, Seth, JJ, I'm not going to thank you because you're stuck. They make us do this every week together, so I've got to deal with it. The rest of you, though, thank you for taking the time to do this as we preview the entire East Division. We actually have hockey coming up now, which is the most important thing. So fingers crossed that everybody stays healthy. It goes as smoothly as it possibly can, and we crown a Stanley Cup champion at the end. And I'm just going to go out and say it for myself. I hope it's Washington, but I'm sure all of you feel a little bit differently about the rest of those teams. But I appreciate it, guys. All month long, NBC Sports Philadelphia presents Headstrong, Men's Health and Sports Headstrong, a series about men's health told through powerful stories involving the athletes we love. Learn more on NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com slash Headstrong. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. And that is your most recent Flyers Talk podcast. Flyers fans, thank you so much for listening. We hope you got a comprehensive deep dive into all the teams that the Flyers will be playing in this weird but short and sweet 2020-21 NHL season. It should be fun. Again, thank you for listening. Ben Barry, a special thank you to our podcast producer as well. Flyers fans, this is the latest Flyers Talk podcast. Wherever you get your podcasts, please rate and subscribe, and we cannot wait to talk to you next time.